welcome to the next part of the crows part three which is the 9th to the 13th of may uh, beautifully illustrated by thomas brown in the paperback and we are starting with chapter 15 which has content warnings for boundary crossing and personal space violation sexual arousal and nudity no actual sex part three the 9th of May to the 13th of May. Chapter 15. Deal with the Devil, in which Carrie gets off the hook and Ricky is useful. The 9th of May. A full week had passed since the seance and Phil had been missing for six days. The gnawing in her stomach never went away. She had made no progress with the tongue search, but other things, driven by guilt and anxiety, sucked at her attention like a black hole. Like what to tell the police when they came to interview her, what to say to her mum, how to tell her dad, if she should pack up and go, leave, take part of the house with her, but she couldn't do that. Her money worries were temporarily on hold, at least. Blackberry Antiques, a converted railway shed near Barker Crescent, had thrown her a lifeline in the form of enough cash to pay that month's bills, and there were more antiques in the well. Fairwood's avatar had reclaimed a few Charles II snuff-boxes, and they occasionally appeared on the kitchen table, oozing mud and slime. That was about the only thing going right. The funny thing about keeping the secret of this magnitude, Carrie discovered, was that it didn't press against you all the time. At first, it was a bubble of disclosure waiting to burst behind her lips, as if her reply to an unexpected hello would be, I'm housing a murderer! and it would tumble out in the chipper, fake-chirpy tone she seemed to be adopting for all her interactions. Then hours would pass, and she'd forget. She'd gone to the doctor's on Monday, a red-brick building on Mill Street where the surgery and pharmacy were down some steep steps into a blindingly white corridor where she'd half expected to encounter a human centipede or something worse, but all that had happened was an appointment with Dr. Monday in two weeks' time. She couldn't focus on learning any more of the history of the house, the ghost, or anything else. One truth kept haunting her, dragging her into a spiral of guilt. Her life was better without Phil in it. She didn't watch the news all week, afraid of facing his mother's storm of grief and some heartfelt appeal. But the truth was, missing persons rarely made the news. People disappeared from their lives all the time. The officer who interviewed her had probed the issue of debt and Phil's propensity to run out on his obligations. What could she say? She told the truth. Mercy had invited her to the pub and Carrie said yes, desperate to seem normal. Then on Wednesday at three in the morning, as Fairwood breathed rhythmically in the deep hush of the night, Carrie's phone rang. She peeled her eyes open, squinting at the flashing colours marring the peaceful darkness, assuming it was her alarm. The small inner voice woke first, scrabbling for a handle on the situation. Oh God, what now? Why is it dark? What's happening? She fumbled the screen, not sure why it wouldn't turn off and why it sounded different. It wasn't the alarm, it was her ringtone. Struggling up and turning on the lamp, a lance of pain shooting into her sleepy eyes, she managed to answer it before it went to voicemail. Hell, she croaked, sandpaper tongue sluggish, and cleared her throat. <clears> Hello? <throat> Carrie, sorry to wake you. It's Tom, Tom Hoskins. The voice was slurred, unsteady. Carrie rubbed her face, avoiding the healing bruises. Tom? Phil's cousin. 
the police were around this this afternoon. They asked me if Bill had been violent to you that I knew of. Said said they'd been over to see you. You never checked when Phil and I were together, did you, Tommy? Never bothered once in all that time. Carrie touched the last vestiges of bruising on her cheek. It's five past three, she mumbled, remembering the police visit the day before. She thought she'd done well, been as honest as she could. No need to lie, they would find out what a piece of work he was soon enough if they asked around. Reiterated, in particular, that he owed money to some fairly nasty people. What's this really about? I couldn't tell them any more than I told you. A jolt of adrenaline shocked her into clarity. Have they found him yet? Ricky had said he'd been thorough. Not even a forensics team would find a thing. No. Relief flooded back. A beat. He's not coming back, is he? Tom slurred. Carrie didn't know what to say. There was a moment of silence that stretched beyond the small glow of her lamp into the haunted shadows, falling away into a void of wordless guilt. Then Tom sighed. Well, thank fuck for that, he said, and hung up. Not the epitaph Phil had wanted, Carrie gasped, but certainly the one he deserved. She held the phone to her ear for a few seconds, tapping the hard edge against her temple, her mind a dull blank. I'm changing, she thought. I'm different somehow. A prickling washed over the side of her face as she put the phone back on the table. The duvet inched off her legs, tugged towards the floor by a small, invisible hand. Carrie snatched at it before her legs were completely exposed, tugging it back. Something reached up from under her bed, a small bony arm, pale and bloodless, hand buried under the bedclothes, groping over the top sheet for her ankle. Carrie jerked her knees up under her chin, throwing the duvet off. There was nothing there. Cut that out, she ordered, trembling. It's three in the morning. Stop it. There was a heavy, pregnant silence. It was not the silence of an empty room. I'm not looking under the bed, Carrie said. Forget it. Go and haunt the attic or something. She thought she heard a small sigh, a childish pout, and felt a tug at the corner of her undersheet. No, stop it. All right, look, I'm trying, okay? I'm looking for your tongue. I'm making progress, I promise. Something slithered underneath the rug and a tube of lipstick dropped off her desk onto the floor. Okay, so I'm not doing very well, but I've got a job. And look, why don't you show Ricky your arms? Carrie asked, rubbing the sleep out of her eyes. Maybe he'll know what the marks mean. There was a low hissing from the floorboards, and Carrie could make out a pale shape crouching under her chair, eyes burning in the darkness. Another presence made itself felt, visible out of the corner of her eye, and the ghost slithered away with a soft hiss through the floor. Carrie whipped around to face the open door. It was shut, I was sure I shut it, and saw a figure in the dark. Ricky was standing in the doorway, tendrils forming frond-like antlers over his head. Carrie tried to swallow, recalling the thing that had burgeoned through Ricky Porter's human skin in her kitchen, the creature of pulsing sapwood and eel-slick skin, peppered with round, scavenging mouths and all-seeing entomic eyes. He was human and naked. Good God, he's fit. Of course he was. Moving bodies was hard work. She filed the observation away, unexpected spark of libido dying a quick death. How long have you been there? she whispered. He shrugged. Can't sleep. Why are you naked? What do you mean? It's how I sleep. Would try to. Who was that? Carrie sighed. That was Tom, Phil's cousin. 
Ricky came in a little way, shadows playing over the contours of his humanoid body. What's the matter? she asked. His tendrils retreated with a slippery suck. The cherry red of his eyes glowed. Nothing. Belly ache, that's all. He did look bloated, but it was hard to tell. Have you been at the frozen stuff? Carrie's food budget was not lasting her as long as she needed it to, despite the antique sales. She had another cheque to go out for the window, and Jo Lynn wasn't cheap. You're meant to defrost it. Ricky rolled his eyes, their eerie red glow producing an almost comical effect. Yeah, I know how a freezer works. I can feed myself. He rubbed his stomach, coming all the way up to her bed. You got mice down there, you know that? They're a right treat, they are. Bloody hell. She made space for him to sit on the edge if he wanted, but instead, before she could protest, he pulled the edge of the duvet up and over himself, curling up beside her. Carrie stiffened, stomach flipping. Oi, you can't just... She shuffled away as the mattress depressed, threatening to tip her closer towards him. What the hell are you doing? He sniffed, making himself comfortable. His cold skin sucked the heat out of her. What's it look like I'm doing? Trying to get some bloody sleep? Don't sound so bloody hard done by. You can't just... My God, you can't just... What is wrong with you? He rolled over, the red glowing in his eyes. Not allowed on the bloody furniture, am I? Richard Porter's an outside dog, is that what you mean? You... You should at least ask first. For a start. Oh. He turned onto his side with his back to her, the puckered lips at the back of his head firmly closed. Carrie stared at them, willing them to stay shut. He rolled over to face her, pressing his head into the top pillow and trying to get comfortable. I'll ask next time, he said, muffled. She gave up. Okay, well, you do that. It's cold and my belly aches, closed his eyes. Turn the light off, love. Carrie paused, then clicked off her lamp with bad grace. She lay rigid in the dark next to the man, monster, eldritch thing that had killed her ex-boyfriend, dug out his spleen and kidneys, sliced him up while he was still alive and conscious. Got rid of him. She couldn't turn her back on him, but she didn't dare close her eyes either. As he relaxed, she heard his back lips part with a gentle smack, letting those muscular tendrils go slithering across the floor. He relinquished her duvet and let her take some back, draping an arm across her waist. An oddly familiar pressure. He grunted and shifted closer. Carrie wrinkled her nose and ducked under the stream of his fetid breath. God, you smell like a massacre in a pet shop. He chuckled and deliberately exhaled, angling his chin to hit her full in the face. Carrie gagged in disgust and pushed him away. Oh, no, you're not... You have to ask me before you do shit like this. How would you like it if I invaded your space without asking, without any clothes on? It's your house, ain't it? You do what you want. Anyway, I've seen you without clothes on that time with the flowers. You look basically the same. Giggling to himself, he rolled away and back again, settling with her wrapped up close to him, a comforting dry heat generating between them. Carrie gave up and tucked her head under his chin, trying to figure out what to do with her other arm before the inevitable onslaught of pins and needles. It wasn't like he was going to do anything, and she'd probably wake up with all her organs. That's not the point. Her inner voice tried to make itself heard, but Ricky's energy was overpowering it. This is fine. Everything's normal. It's fine. Carrie relaxed. Eventually, they found a mutually least awkward position, with him on his back, holding her into his bony chest, and Carrie wondered if he would consume her in the night, 
open up along his seam and absorb her whole. He gave her a small squeeze as if testing her, trying to see if she was real or really there. She felt like a living teddy bear. His belly groaned, bubbling with whatever disgusting furry cocktail he'd overindulged in. Carrie rubbed the part of it she could reach, and he flinched away from her. Does that hurt? she whispered. No. Do you want me to stop touching you? He shook his head, keeping his eyes closed. His grip got firmer around her waist, as if he was stealing himself. She pressed her hand to his stomach again, his innards shifting under her palm. He flinched when I touched his head, too, she remembered. Is... is that nice? she tried again. Ricky made a little gruff noise of assent, cracked and dry, the sound an oak would make if it could purr. This is nuts. You know this is nuts. Her inner voice managed one more opinion before it sank back into oblivion, and Carrie found herself following suit, sleep lapping at her consciousness and pulling her down. She stroked Ricky's bare human skin until her dreams reclaimed her, soothing her own fears and what lay dormant underneath. 10th of May A few hours later, not too long after the dawn crept between the curtains, Carrie's alarm went off. Fairwood had entered her dreams again in a form it knew she liked, her soothing protector, chasing away ghosts and shadows. It reminded her of the day they met, when she was hiding her cracks and fissures behind a brittle smile, and it was a ruined effigy on a bed of weeds, waiting for her life-giving kiss. It enfolded her in its arms, hers forever, and as the alarm rang, the weed-strewn byre fragmented beneath them into the wishing well, glittering like stained glass in their descent into its depths. She woke, pressed into Ricky's chest, wrapped up in a possessive embrace, and cuddled against him like a favourite toy. Carrie stayed put for a moment, her alarm running out of steam and snoozing itself for five minutes. Ricky wasn't Fairwood, wasn't close. His chest rose and fell in a gentle snore, rocking her back into drowsiness. She tapped his stomach to wake him up, but that seemed to have settled in the night. He smiled in his sleep, brow unfurrowed, deep in the undeserved rest of the clean-living innocent. She knew exactly what would wake him up. It felt mean, but a quick lesson in why boundaries were important wouldn't hurt him. She leaned in and planted a deliberate kiss on his cheek. His eyes shot open. Carrie recoiled as far as she could, trapped by his embrace. Ricky realised he was holding on to her and let her go. He stared around the room, raising himself up on his elbows, remembered where he was, and dropped back down. Bloody hell, don't do that. What's the time? Seven. Fuck that. Carrie snorted. Aren't you an ascetic? Early morning should be right up your street. Yeah, well. He stretched reached for her and pulled her back down onto him. I fancy a little lie-in. Carrie settled back, warm and painfully aware how much she'd missed having someone there. Something. She found herself holding him tighter as she yawned. You should get yourself back out there, Ricky said, placid from a good night's sleep. If you're a bit, you know, frustrated. I could introduce you to Cousin Wes. He bats for whichever team will have him. I'm not he shushed her, getting comfortable against the pillows. Five minutes. He twitched his knee. I don't think that's for you, it just does that some mornings. He's not. Carrie turned her head to stare down beyond his belly, burning with awkward, illicit curiosity. Oh, God, yes, he is. She masked her discomfort with humour. 
Sure, it's not just acclimatising. Don't tease. He frowned with his eyes shut. Are you teasing? I'm not good at... I'm not used to it. Gerald doesn't tease. Who's Gerald? Carrie asked, imagining another cousin. Ricky tensed. Nobody. He answered too fast, the tale of a terrible liar or a guilty man. Carrie pulled away and gave him some space. It's okay, it's none of my business. Ricky grimaced. He... he ain't real, it's not... it's silly. Do you mean like an imaginary friend? She could picture that. I used to have those when I was a kid. It's pretty normal for only children. No. Ricky drew his knees up and half sat, edging away from her. Not... he's not imaginary. He's just not real. Stupid. Something clicked, the way he'd held on to her in the night like a doll. Oh, is he a... is Gerald a toy? Like a teddy? I made him. Ricky couldn't look at her. Made him when I was ten, so he's not very good. I got better at the stitching and the stuffing, the skinning and that. He's had a few new limbs, hands, that sort of thing. Can't seem to get rid of him. I still, um, still talk to him sometimes, you know. I know it's stupid. It's not stupid. Carrie didn't want to imagine what Gerald might be made of. I have a few teddies from when I was a kid. Look. She pointed to the top of her wardrobe. The fluffy teddy with I love you stitched into its large paws sat on the top, gathering dust. Mum got me that when I was, I don't know, five. I slept with it every night until I was 13, and that was only because we moved house and I lost her for a bit. She watched him coming around, saw him struggling to believe her. I was devastated. Mum had moved out by then, so that made it worse. We found her in a box Dad had shoved in the garage. Ricky glanced shyly at her. My father said I was too old for him at twelve, said he'd burn him. His smile twisted in an echo of his grandmother's malevolence. I didn't let him, though. Have you brought him here? Carrie wondered what exactly was lurking in her cellars. I wouldn't mind. I wasn't going to leave him there, Ricky murmured. Brought him through the smuggler's tunnel. You can come and see him if you like. Carrie held his gaze. Sure. Ricky studied her with the intensity of a naturalist who had found himself beside a rare and possibly rabid creature and wasn't sure what to do next. He cleared his throat. All right. They got out of bed, kicking off the tangle of shared sheets. Carrie followed him downstairs, Fairwood still peaceful and protective in the early morning light. Ricky was whistling a bird call she didn't recognise. He looked over his bare shoulder and grinned. The trapdoor to the coal cellar was open. Carrie felt its muted malevolence at the threshold to the utility room, that dark part of Fairwood's soul that needed soothing or catharsis. What happened down there? she asked, as Ricky, still naked, padded down the narrow stone steps into the darkness. The cellar? It's where one of the Sauvants liked to call up things from beyond. Nasty, ain't she? Bitter. You can feel it, can't you? Carrie hugged herself, thin pyjamas not warm enough for the chill in the air. It stank of weak old meat and old leather. Ricky tugged at the dangling cord and the single forty-watt bulb glowed into life. There we are. He had brought, as promised, very little. A few dirty blankets are piled in one corner in a ragged nest, a fold-up work table taking space up along one wall, bearing the weight of a few boxes. What are those? Ricky padded to where his grey, shapeless clothes were folded on the floor and slipped them on. 
She tried not to look as he dressed, the tracksuit and threadbare hoodie clinging to him like another skin. Those? My knives, needles, stuff like that. He'd killed Phil with one or more of those, then. Her stomach flipped. Carrie turned her back on them, shivering, and came face to face with a broken nightmare. Strapped to a wheel behind the door, how did he get that down here? Was a creature staring at her through Phil's eyes. She couldn't focus on the details at first. It was a composite sketch, mismatched and grotesque, yes, but whimsical. The kind of thing a horror-fascinated child might put together in a make-your-own Halloween monster picture book of sliding tabs. It towered above her, the deer skull head one antler short and lolling, bloated leather body cracked with age and worn smooth in patches as broad as Ricky's forearms. Several animal skins formed its limbs, and a human had supplied the hands. This is... Gerald. Carrie noticed the missing antler had been sheared off, snapped roughly from the base of the skull, leaving a jagged spike. Yeah. Ricky crossed the flagstones to stand behind her, hands on his hips. Haven't fixed him properly yet. Carrie stepped back, but Ricky didn't move. She knocked against him, his breath hot in her hair. You made him, she asked, wondering why she wasn't scared. His arm circled her with deliberate ownership, the way Phil had put his arm around her once in front of an ex-girlfriend. Yeah, when I was a kid. Carrie figured it out at the same time Fairwood did. The coal cellar, woken by the light, was unimpressed. He's made a toy out of you. Carrie shoved him off and Ricky stumbled back, shocked. I never, he protested, more to Fairwood than to her. Wrapped himself around us, trying to take us over. I, that's not what I wanted. Carrie felt the rush of incendiary fury burning through her, coal cold, coating her mind thick as charcoal ashes. Fairwood's darkest room found an outlet for its anger. The crypt beyond the thick walls sang out hymns of forgiveness and patience in vain. Carrie couldn't hear it. Am I a toy to you? Her voice scraped, guttural over her throat. Ricky shook his head in flat denial, the walls bucking around them in quickening beats. The table flew away from the wall, and boxes tumbled to the floor, knives and cloth rolls of needles spilling everywhere. Gerald tipped forwards on his wheel as the wall pulsed behind him. Whoa, whoa! Ricky leapt to save the toppling creature before it crushed Carrie. Watch it! Carrie jumped into the middle of the room below the swinging light bulb, shadows rotating around her. You're a maggot in my belly, Richard Edwin Porter. She didn't know why she said that. Ricky forced the wheel back upright and leaned his weight against it, tendrils whipping out of the wrinkled lips and lashing across the room, missing her by inches. The fuck did you just say? Carrie was shaking. She couldn't stop. Every muscle spasmed out of her control. No Pendle should set foot in this house. No, hang on. Now wait, wait, wait a minute. Ricky set Gerald safely upright and raised his hands, addressing the cellar and Carrie at once. I'm sorry, all right, I'm sorry. That what you want? I'm sorry. He gestured at her and spoke to the ceiling. Look what you're doing to her, for fuck's sake. She can't take much more. Leave her be. The anger washed out of her in a rush, taking her strength with it. She sank down onto the freezing stone, staring at him with residual hate. That, she was almost sure, was all her own. I'm not a toy, she said, darting a glare at Gerald. I'm... you can't do that. I'm not. You can't. You can't use me like that. 
Ricky's lips parted, eyes wide. His tendrils floated above his head, writhing and knotting anxiously. I don't... I don't want to, he mumbled, caught out like a naughty child. I don't use... Don't lie, you're shit at it. Carrie steeled herself and tried to stand. My God, Ricky, what have you done to us? You've... You're in my head somehow. I'm not... I'm not me. I don't feel like me. She's in there too, Ricky pointed out, defensive. It ain't just me. And you're both in here, he tapped his own forehead. So stop making out like you're the only victims here. This wasn't what I signed up for, neither. He folded his arms. Look, maybe it's just taking a while to settle. Let's let it... Let's give it a chance. Find our equilibrium. Bound to be teething troubles, right? No need to do anything drastic. Like eviction... Carrie wrapped her arms around herself and shuffled to the steps. Yeah, that would be bad for... Oh no, just one of us. Yeah, all right, bloody hell. He didn't touch her, but followed sheepishly up the steps. No, it's not all right. If you try and control us again, we're done. Carrie realised that while some things that went without saying for everyone else, they apparently needed to be spelt out in neon letters for Ricky Porter. Boundaries. I have some. Stay out of my fucking head, and you can't just... I'm not your... She lost track of what she wanted to say, but made it to the washing machine so she could lean on it. You understand why we're pissed off, don't you? Fine, he faced her, pulling his hood up as the tendrils receded into the back of his skull. Look, let's call this probation then, yeah? I know I'm pushy. I didn't mean to be. You're the boss. Give it six months. She wasn't sure if he was talking to her or the house, but she shook her head. Three. He didn't argue, which struck her as suspicious. Done. Three. Whatever you say. By then, we'll have got a nice balance, and everyone will stay out of each other's heads, yeah? Carrie chewed her fingernail, forcing herself to relax, or at least to appear relaxed. He was watching her, eyes drawn to every little movement she made, as if he knew something she didn't. Okay. Ricky nodded. Deal? Deal. She shuddered one last time, stretched and rubbed her face. God, I'll be late. Let's keep the ground rules in mind, yeah? Yeah. Ricky glanced down at his bare feet. Hey, look, I do owe you a favour still, if that smooth things over. Carrie side-eyed the trap door, where the cellar was still emanating distrust. Maybe. A thought occurred to her and Fairwood at the same time. Do you think you could get a piece of Fairwood into Colonel Curtis's house? I don't know where he lives, but I want to know what he's got to do with all this bullshit. Easy, Ricky folded his arms. Of course I can. He paused. What's he got to do with anything? He's... he's in the picture too. Ricky's grin curved. What picture? The... Carrie frowned. This one. She beckoned him into the kitchen and retrieved the picture Fairwood had rescued from Janet Varney's fireplace from a drawer. It's not... It's not great, but that's the colonel, isn't it? Ricky took it from her, squinting. What's this? Janet had it. She tried to burn it. It's... I projected into her cottage with Fairwood's avatar, and that's how I went into a trance and fainted or something. She gestured at her healing bruises. You came over and told me about Phil, and I guess... I guess I didn't... She couldn't remember the order things had happened in that day. That didn't feel right. She shook her head and let it go. He was grinning. Oh God, have you, have you figured it out? You know something. 
Ricky licked his lips and handed the photograph back. Look, leave this with me, yeah? I don't know what they did, but I think I got the general idea. Who's they? Carrie demanded. He wouldn't answer. Let me sort it. Tell you after. If I do, new rules, yeah? If I fix this for you, I get to stay here. Proper contract, signed and sealed, you and me, right? I sort this, and I'm your official lodger. No booting me out without a notice period, and we'll call this my first month's rent, right? Again, he was talking to Fairwood, not to her. Carrie folded her arms. Okay, but as the lodger, you don't... We've got boundaries, right? Right? He rolled his eyes. Fine. She had to go to work. Leaving him lurking in the shadows of the utility room, Carrie ran upstairs to get dressed, trying not to think about what had just happened or the murder weapons her new lodger had brought under her roof. With Carrie at work, he had Fairwood all to himself again. There were books upstairs that he hadn't read yet, but he was saving escapism for another day. Today, it was just him and her. He soaked it up with a greedy thirst, stroking her beams and steps with bare palms, slipping back naked into the cellar with a clear object in mind. Not long now, and Carrie Rickard would be dead, and he would be the sole living thing in its walls, the house's only occupant. His agreement with her wouldn't matter then. Four days to go. That thought didn't give him the same thrill of excitement as before. His guts twisted, but not in the same way. It troubled him. Just you and me, old girl, Ricky murmured into the chill. Like it ought to be. If anything happens to her, do you think... I could be useful. I could stay. He felt the house tremble and added quickly... Just a question. You think we will find our equilibrium? Of course we will. Of course we will. You wanted me to come to you, didn't you? He ran his hand along the walls, testing the perimeter. You remember, don't you? What old Sir Peter and his lot got up to? I mean, the Pendles suffered for that as much as anyone. Ricky patted his rippling stomach. Where's the kid? No need to protect her from me. What do you want with her? Chat, that's all. You're sounding better already. More like yourself. There was a suspicious silence. Ricky grimaced, aware his thoughts were not entirely his own. The thoughts of the thing that was also Ricky, though, that was another matter. He had a level of detachment he didn't normally feel, a way of stepping outside his own head and into the distorted worlds beyond. Outside. He giggled suddenly, clapping his hands together. I'm going mad, my love. Ain't that fucking perfect? The crows creaked sarcasm. How can you tell? She's got a point. Look, send the kid in, will you? You heard your lady and mistress. She can't leave well enough alone. I thought Bishop the Younger was just a convenience for Gran. No one saw fit to mention the Godfather. Ricky crouched low near his filthy blankets and arranged himself cross-legged on the floor. He tugged a brown one over his lower half, its ragged ends splayed across the flagstones, and wrapped its grimy yellow counterpart around his head and shoulders. You know, if you'd just told me the whole story from the start, I'd have been much more helpful. Go on, I'm decent. The crows breathed an eddy of cold air in reluctance. What will you do with her? Ricky grinned, a bubble of anticipation floating in his chest. 
I'm going to give you revenge against all those bastards in town, he said. And our mutant miss can have her revenge at the same time if she wants it. This piqued the house's interest. The cellar seemed to curve inwards, each wall intent on listening. How? Human waste boiled down to the essence of physical rejection. Old skin, the shedding of a past and an identity. Knew I'd find a use for him. I have my little ways, Ricky said, focusing on his deep, calming breaths. Thank you.